You know, uh, when Debbie and I left Cedar Home in 2013, <laughs> uh, we went off and did some interim pastorates. And uh, so that, that enabled us to see what churches go through to get a new pastor. And uh, COVID wasn't around, but it's amazing the peaks and valleys and, and delays and that kind of thing happen when a church is looking for the right pastor. So this is not totally weird. You know, this is not totally out of the box. Uh, it is a, uh, it is a, uh, a marathon. And, uh, but, but, but because you want the right person here. And so uh, I just echo Melissa's uh, words to pray for the search committee and for the church because we, you want God's man in God's time, amen? You really do. So um, just having seen that in the last eight years or so, it's been good for us. Cedar Home is not uniquely bad, okay? It's, uh, it's uniquely normal, okay, uh, uh, with other churches, okay? So keep that in mind. Also want to thank those of you that are watching online. I had somebody tell me they did, that last week when they weren't here, they were watching, and uh, I, I know that there are many of you out there that uh, can't or shouldn't be here because you have some, some illness or been exposed uh, exposed to that. Thank you for being considerate of the rest of the church family by staying home until you're well. We miss you. We want you back. Uh, but thank you for waiting till you're healthy. Okay. All right. Let's move on into God's word this morning. Um, we are going to be in the fourth chapter of Judges. So I know we were in five and six last week, so we're moving backward into Judges chapter four because we're gonna talk about the next person in line who was inducted into God's hall of faith or faith's hall of fame, okay? And um, if you were uh, familiar enough yet with Hebrews 11, you'll know that I am going through each of these people individually. I don't like to skip people like David and Gideon and the person we're gonna talk about today. Um, in fact, I'll just read that in Hebrews 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel, and we're gonna go through each one of these individually, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised to shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of the flames, and escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And if you're here today and you'd like to turn your personal weakness into strength, you came to the right place this morning, okay? Because you're gonna get a good story about that. So uh, today we start with um, a new guy, and I want to read a story that I think will dovetail with who we're going to talk about today in Judges chapter 4. And it has to do with an expression. And the expression is, and maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've probably used it before, I've used it many times before. You ever hear someone say, or, or you said, you know, they really dropped the ball on that one. You ever hear that? Yeah, or, or he dropped the ball, or she dropped the ball, or they dropped the ball on that one. 
I think we've all said that or heard that. And uh, we use that to describe someone who has failed to follow through on an assignment or to reach a certain goal. They just drop the ball. Now, the origin of that is very interesting, and it applies somewhat today to who we're going to talk about. And I want to read it to you. Where did that come from? He dropped the ball. Um, Some people trace the origin of that phrase to the fourth game of the 1941 Baseball World Series. The series was dubbed the Subway Series because it was the Brooklyn Dodgers playing the New York Yankees. The Yankees won the first game of the series by a score of 3-2. Brooklyn returned the favor the next game by beating the Yankees 3-2. Then the Yankees took the third game 2-1, and in the fourth game it looked like the Dodgers were going to tie the series. Brooklyn was leading 4-3 at the top of the ninth inning, and the Yankees were up to bat with no man on base. There were two outs, and the count was three balls and two strikes on Tommy Henrich. Henrich swung at the next pitch and missed the ball by a mile. Now, that should have ended the game, but the Dodgers catcher, Mickey Owen, dropped the ball. The ball hit off the heel of his glove and rolled towards the Dodgers' dugout. Henrich ran to first base before Owen could retrieve the ball and throw it to first, and so he was safe. That started the Yankees' rally. Next up to bat was Dalton Joe DiMaggio, and the Yankees went on to score four runs in that inning, and they held on to win the game 7-4. to four. So instead of the series being tied at 2-2, two two, two two, that victory gave the Yankees a 3-1 lead in the series. Well, that took the wind out of the Dodgers' sails, and the next day the Yankees beat the Dodgers 3-1 in Game 5, and so the Yankees won the 1941 World Series, all because Brooklyn's catcher, Mickey Owen, dropped the ball. Now, this is the interesting part. Owen was never able to live that down. Never. Even though he was a fantastic baseball player. As a matter of fact, in the 1941 season, Owens set a record for the most errorless fielding catches by a catcher with 508 perfect attempts. He was an all-star for four consecutive years from 1941 to 1944. In 1942, Owen became the first player to pinch hit a home run in an all-star game. And during the 1944 regular season, he became the National League catcher the third National League catcher to ever to complete an unassisted double play. But, despite his outstanding career in baseball, Owen was always known as the man who what? Dropped the ball. And he died in 2005. And this, the title of his obituary in the New York Times read this one, this way. Mickey Owen dies at 89, allowed fateful pass ball. And all the other good that he did was wiped out. Even in his death, he was remembered as the guy who dropped the ball. Now, that could have easily, easily been said of the next person that we're going to talk about today because he dropped the ball big time. But yet, here's the deal I want you to be thinking about as we go through this passage. Even though he dropped the ball, he was inducted into God's hall of faith in the Face Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. So, you know, it begs the question, why was this guy who, who on his first chance blew it so bad, yet he was inducted into the uh, Hall of Faith that we've been going through in Hebrews 11? Well, his name is Barak, and he comes just after Gideon and just before Samson in Hebrews 11. And at first, 
His faith in God failed. Boy, is he someone that I can relate to. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've never failed God. I was hoping for a little more laughter, but uh, I failed God. Chief sinner, you're looking at him. I failed in my faith in God. We all have. But here's the neat thing about uh, Barak. He got, after he failed, he got up off the mat. He believed God in faith and as, exam- as an example to us all. And I need that this morning. I have needed this sermon this week, and I hope that you will get something out of this the same way that I have this week. And the title of the message today is Faltering Faith Does Not Have to Be Final Faith. Faltering Faith Does Not Have to Be Final Faith. And we're going to go through Judges 4 rather quickly, so fasten your seatbelts, okay? And we're going to start, we're going to go through it phase by phase, okay, and see uh, how faltering faith does not have to be final faith. The first stage of this passage is the awful problem that faces, or it was facing the Israelites. And I want you to look at the last verse of 31, chapter, or the last verse of chapter 3, through the fourth chapter, verse 3. It says, after Ehud came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. I don't know what an ox goad is. Does anybody know what an ox goad is? Anyway, he killed 600 Philistines with it. And he saved Israel. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and they, and they cried to the Lord for help. So Ehud, the godly left-handed military hero of Israel, who had served under the godly judge Shamgar, dies, and Israelite, the Israelites begin to repeat a cycle that you see all through the Old Testament. And this is the cycle. They are in fellowship with God, but then they start living in sin and idolatry. They're disciplined by God. They cry for forgiveness. They promise God that they're going to repent. God has compassion on them and delivers them. And then they eventually return back to sin and idolatry. Have you read those before? And they, they constant cycle, constant cycle over and over again. They, they go through this cycle. And this time they were going through the cycle, and the cycle... Uh, caused them to become militarily and spiritually weak. Militarily and spiritually weak. They didn't, they obviously didn't listen to that popular Santana song, You've Got to Change Your Evil Ways. Israel. That's my take on the song. Now, I have heard preachers, and I've probably done it myself, uh, criticize Israel for this. You know, like, yes, Israelites, they never learn, do they? You know, they, 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 they have God's mercy and then they get into sin and then they get God's discipline and they cry for forgiveness and promise to God they won't do it again and repent and God delivers them. And then, you know, uh, I think we ought to be careful not to be too critical of them. Guess why? We do it too. Have you ever found yourself in that cycle in some area? of thought, word, and deed in your life. And you say, I'm not going to do that again. And then you do it again. And then God 
convicts you or disciplines you and you cry for repentance and forgiveness and then you get in fellowship with God and then you do it again. And it just seems like that's something that it happens in our lives. We all have that area or two or 10 that we just ugh, can't break the cycle. And so let's be careful not to point too much of a bony finger at Israel because we do that. I think what God is teaching me is do what you can with my help to break those cycles in your life. Pray to me that those cycles would be broken and don't just be complacent about it. Well, that's just me. That's just how I'm wired. I don't think that's a good response. Lord, break the cycles in my life. Help me not to be like the Israelites. Anyway, because they did evil, they were sold by God into the hands of the pagan king Jabin and were under the cruel oppression of the commander of the army, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots. And Sisera oppressed the Israelites for 20 years using these 900 iron chariots. Now that's like having 900 Sherman tanks in that day. It, you know, we think, oh, what's, a, what's an iron chariot? But iron and a chariot were, were just, you couldn't conquer them, 900 of them, okay? It's like uh, the Israelites were a few foot soldiers with a couple of 22 rifles. It, it just didn't work. They couldn't, they couldn't beat the, uh, the Canaanites, and there was no chance or hope for victory. And that's what happens when you live without God. When you keep rebelling against God, you're gonna be in bondage. And uh, um, that's exactly where Israel was. So we have the awful problem facing the Israelites. They are completely defeated by the Canaanites. And Sisera is a mean, cruel, nasty guy who oppressed them for 20 years. But then we come to an awesome promise. We go from this awful problem to an awesome promise in verse four through seven, if you'll follow along. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time, and she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent... Uh, for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. And I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, or more, more uh, accurately, the, the, the Kishon River bed, because it was the dry season. Just keep that filed for a second. And give him into your hand. So Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophetess uh, who, had, who led Israel at that time and spoke out the word of God to the people. And she was the only female judge in the book of Judges. And she had a very, very high position and held court in the hill country of Ephraim where she settled disputes between the Israelites. And she was a godly woman. And she was wise and highly respected I would have loved to have met Deborah. I, I, I really feel like, wow, she, she was something special. And, uh, and, it, and, and that was, that was um, compounded by the fact that this was a very male-dominated uh, society. This is really unusual because, you know, unfortunately, women were not looked upon with the same value as a man was. And uh, so Deborah broke the mold without, without uh, a doubt. 
And the, the Israelites looked to her for direction and as, and as a spokesperson for God. And so Deborah sends for Barak to speak to him about what God commands Barak to do. In Barak, she says, you are to take 10,000 men to Mount Tabor, where God promises that he'll lure Sisera, the commander of Jabez's army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River, or riverbed, and give him into your hands. What a great promise. After 20 years of this oppression, uh, uh, God, through Deborah, gives this promise to Barak. Okay? God's going to deliver the, uh, the enemy into his hands. God would orchestrate it all. All Barak had to do was to show up in faith and trust God. So how does Barak respond to the awesome news? Wow, that's great, man. I can't wait to do this. No, just like you and me sometimes, when we crack open the word of God or the Holy Spirit gives us the promise, what happens is sometimes, instead of saying, wow, God, you're gonna do this, and with utter overflowing, brimming confidence, we look at our circumstances and the challenges that we're facing, and instead of walking by faith in an all-powerful, all-faithful, loving God, we walk by sight, and our emotions get a hold of us, and our faith waffles. Which takes us to the next thing. We go from this awful problem to this awesome promise, and now we go to the awkward response of Barak to Deborah. Very awkward for a, a commander of the army who's getting this promise from God. See what he says in verse eight, look there. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Okay, I won't go. Deborah, if you don't come, if you don't take, come with me, I won't go. This, this does not sound like an inductee to the hall of faith, does it? Why was Gideon, or Gideon, that was last week, why does Barak get inducted into the hall of faith? Because he was a scaredy cat, right? And because he said, Deborah, I, 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 I'll go, but, but if you don't go with me, I'm not going. He sounds like a, a, a young child, first day of school. And mom, and very kind of scared and apprehensive, and mom's trying to put him on the school bus, and uh, he won't get, he or she won't get on, and they say, oh, okay, mommy, if you go with me, I'll go, I'll, I'll go, if you hold my hand, but if you won't, I'm not gonna go. After all, there's big scary chariots at that school. There's iron chariots at the school. Now, why did Barak respond this way? I'd like to ask that question, because I put myself into the same shoes as these guys, okay? I try to say, what is it about me that's in, is about, how can I identify with this character? What's God trying to tell me today? And boy, God spoke to me this week in some convicting ways, okay? Why did Barak respond this way? Most likely, at the moment of faith that he should have had in the promise of God, he wavered, he, fa he faltered. He was so afraid and so weak in his faith that he wouldn't go unless Deborah went with him. The, see, the command was given by God himself. God gave this command. Should, that should have been enough. That should have been enough. And we read his commands and we read his promises. And that should be enough for us to say, all right, gonna believe you no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. But Barak was overcome with fear. 
He wanted some kind of tangible, visible uh, uh, human aid. I mean, have you been there? No, I have. I, I've been there. I regret to admit I've been there. See, Barak's vision in the moment of the call didn't extend all the way to God, and it resulted in fear and a faithless, anxious response. I have been there, and we all have. I don't need a response to tell you that we all have. And that takes us to the fourth thing here, okay? And that's the abrupt penalty that Barak incurred upon himself. When he lacked faith to trust in the, in the command and the promise of God, there was a penalty that came upon Barak. Look at verse 9 and 10. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. And you've got to understand in that culture, okay, I, I, again, thank you, Jesus, that you had such high respect for women, but here, it, this was an insult. It was a, uh, a, a really, a, a, in a sense, a, a, a come down, uh, a discipline almost. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, uh, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. So Deborah agrees to go, even though Barak didn't fully trust God, and says, you're not going to get the honor for this, for defeating Sisera. A woman by the name of Jael, that we'll get to here in a moment, um, is going to get the, excuse me, the honor. And we are told this in the New Testament, you guys, that sometimes Faith can make the difference, our level of faith can make the difference between something happening or not happening or from being blessed or not blessed uh, as much as we could if we had faith on the initial promise. Jesus says in Mark 6, 5 that he could do no mighty works in his hometown of Nazareth because of their unbelief or their lack of faith. So when it comes to God's promises and abilities being active in our lives, we can, we can stop or hinder that or the full blessing of that by a lack of faith and trust in him. One person put it this way that I was reading this week, and it's this. Unbelief is a, la- is a, is a thief. It's a thief. It steals away the amount of or the fullness of our blessing if we're not careful. Now, I have found that God comes back and will bless us. But you, I don't know if you have that sense of regret, but I do when I've had a promise from God and a specific, he says, I'm gonna come through for you. I'm gonna, I am, I'm gonna come through for you. And then you, you, just, you just fight with doubt and you fight with uncertainty and fear and, 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 and you feel a little bit scuzzy for it. You feel a little bit like, man, with all he's done in my life and I still can't do, trust him. So there's, there's this kind of a, kind of a you wanna take a spiritual shower after you feel that way, right? Okay. Unbelief is a thief. It, it, it robs us of a full blessing from God. And in Scripture, we can see how God works through people exercising their faith to produce amazing things. But if they don't trust him, he won't. And the full blessing won't be ours, at least at first. 
So Deborah goes with Barak to Kadesh, followed by 10,000 men. And by now, you may still be wondering why, and you probably, most of you know the story, but you may still be wondering uh, why Barak was qualified for Face Hall of Fame and he, and when he wimped out so badly. It was kind of funny because I was walking in the foyer here this morning, greeting as many people as I could before I had to come up here. And uh, one individual who is a wonderful person, so please take this as a wonderful negative statement that I'm going to make. Um, <laughs> no, this person said to me, I don't know what you're going to get out of this passage this morning, but I'm waiting to see. Because <laughs> they had been reading it and going, I don't know what's going to... You know, you might be thinking that right now. This, this, why? How, how did he get from here to Hebrews 11? He just, mommy, I'm scared. I, you know, but in a moment, you're going to see, although his, his faith faltered at the beginning, something really happened in Barak, okay? Because his, his faith did not catch the vision, at first catch the vision that God promised for him and his 10,000 troops. And I think that is great news, because eventually something happened in Barak's life that teaches us that even though we falter and, 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 and we, we just don't trust God sometimes and, and have faith that he's gonna come through for us as a church or as individuals, that something really good can happen and we can get inducted into Faith's Hall of Fame uh, too, okay? But... I'm going to share that with you this next um, point here. So we have an awful problem and an awesome promise. And then we get to that awkward response by Barak and then the abrupt penalty that he's going to pay. He won't get the full honor that he would have got if he had faith in the beginning. Now we see the about face that Barak made. He had an about face. You know, guys, I have had so many about faces in my life, I can't even count them all. Man, have I had a lot of about faces. Probably hundreds of them. Where at first I went, how are you going to do this? God, I'm so tired. I just don't see the end from the beginning, my Lord. How are you going to put the pieces together or take them apart? How are you going to heal this thing? How are you going to come through for me? How are we going to avoid disaster? And then through time, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, he turns me around in faith and he wonderfully comes through for me. And this is what happens with Barak right now. And I'll tell you, preachers are all over the board on this. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff preachers say about this. And I'm so glad I have the right view on this, you know. <laughs> all right, so here we go. The about face of, ba- of faith that Barak made. I'll tell you what, I... I I, I really had to study this. Okay, but look at verses 11 through 16. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree of Zaninim near Kadesh. Kadesh. And when he told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinuam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Her- Rosheth, Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! 
This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord got ahead of you? And so Barak went down to Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, an army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned uh, his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hegoyim, and all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, and not a man was left. That's the part where you start cheering. If it's a movie, if you were de- you at the, the movie theater down in, down there, wherever it is, and uh, at the place, and, uh, and uh, this is the time when you go, yay, you know. This is where Barak's faith come al- comes alive. He doesn't say, hold my hand into the battle, Deborah. He goes. There he has faith. And God wants to encourage us with this this morning. He really does. Because you are facing things. And I am facing things all of the time. And I've been saying this through this series of people facing things. It's, it's part of life on planet Earth. And, and we just, it just never goes away until we go to heaven. I don't want to be a bummer here, a downer. And we have certain uh, 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 breaks in, in, our, in our lives. But we go through things. And it's tough. And we get anxiety fills us or, or worry or, or, or anger or whatever it is. And and, and we have to work through those things just like, like Barak did. We have to go from a lack of faith and a lack of trust in, the, in God and questioning God to where we say, okay, God, you tell me where to go and I'm going. And that's exactly what happens. And if I can do that, you can do that. And let's go look about this about faith. So anyway, Heber the Kenite, who was a metal worker, breaks ranks with the Israelites. His family had been uh, supportive and connected with the Israelites all the way back to the time of Moses. But being a metal worker, maybe he saw those metal chariots and went, wow, iron chariots. I really want to work on those. Anyway, he goes north. He allies himself with the Canaanite king and his iron chariots. And he tells Sisera... Uh, the commander of the uh, Canaanite army of Barak's military preparation on Mount Tabor in verses 11 and 12. Sisera responds by taking 900 iron chariots and men to the Kishon Riverbed, because it's the dry season, during the dry, it, it, where it was more flat and wide, and he could, he could fight battle there in the, with the chariots. And Sisera, so he takes 900 chariots, and then Deborah sends Barak down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men, and two promises. Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands, 14a, and then the Lord has gone ahead of you, 14b. Now, nothing really had changed. Nothing had happened. Still the same threat. But this time, Barak has faith in God, and God responds <clears throat> to Barak and he comes through for him. How? And this is really fun. He comes through for him by sending a torrential downpour onto the Kishon, dry Kishon riverbed. Okay? It was a dry season. Sisera thought everything was going to be copacetic in this riverbed with his iron chariots, and he was going to grease the uh, Israelites in their battle. But God sends a torrential downpour 
uh, making the 900 chariots unable to go through the mud. And later in chapter 5, which we're not going to do, uh, go through now, uh, uh, Deborah and um, Barak sing a duet. This whole five chapter is a song that they're singing. You know, it's like the captain and Tennille or something like that, right? And they're singing this duet, and in, look what they say in verse four. Well, if you got a Bible, uh, the earth, they're singing about the battle, and it says, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, and then in verse 21 it says, the river Kishon swept them away. So what happens here? Okay, God sends a thunderstorm with heavy rain and lightning to turn the once firm riverbed of the Kishon River into a muddy quagmire. It's, it's mud this high. And how good do iron chariots go through high mud? What do they do? They sink down. Not 900 iron chariots sinking down into several feet of mud is, is not healthy for the charioteers. It's not healthy for the army. And so they're helpless. And these 10,000 troops that God helped Barak gather now uh, overwhelm Sisera's army. And God works a miracle and turns Sisera's tactical advantage into a disadvantage. And he does that in response to the renewed faith and trust of Barak. And so Sisera's iron chariots get stuck in the mud and he has to flee on foot, brave commander that he is. Now here's the note here, the note here. When we're weak in faith and we're filled with fear and doubt, but we decide that we, and determine that we are gonna have faith that God is true to his character and his promises in our situations, no matter how we feel, that he can work outside of the box of our selves. And he can do great and unusual things for us. He can sink into the mud the chariots or the difficult people or circumstances or confusion we're in and that are against us and give us the victory. God can do things so out of the box and in such a short or long or middle amount of time if, like Barak, we re come back around and say, no, I'm not going to sink into the quagmire of doubt and fear and all the rest. I'm going to trust God to make something good out of something bad and scary, and God will come through for you and I. That's, that's the lesson that, that we have here, one of them. We've got more than one. And although his original doubt and lack of faith was a mistake, it was not a fatal mistake, thank you, God. Because I do that on almost a daily basis. Barak rallies back to faith at this point and completely routs Sisera's army by the sword. And although Deborah and Jael, which we'll get to in a moment, had more faith in the beginning. Isn't this great, you guys, that just because we, we, we face plant in our faith at the beginning, that it doesn't mean it's the end of the story. 
If we get back into our, into our room, into the rocking chair, into the, the couch or the, 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 the uh, whatever those big chairs are called, recliners. <laughs> or outside, we go out into the woods or wherever, we can go back to God and say, you know, Lord, I really was a Bayrak yesterday. Today, I want to be a reformed Bayrak and say, Lord, I do trust you. I trust you. You're trustworthy. I just got caught up in my emotions and my doubt. Satan's throwing garbage into my brain. And I just renounce him in the name of Jesus in my flesh. And I trust you. Okay? That's why Bayrak's in the Hall of Faith. And I think it's so cool that a a guy was, was... that so much of a failure got in, inducted into the God's Hall of Faith. I think God's just telling us, you can't, you know, just because you blow it doesn't mean you can't have faith and believe and experience God's miracles in your life. That's the lesson for us. That, regard, that, 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 that faltering faith doesn't mean a complete failure of faith. We'll still have chances to believe him for breakthroughs, resolutions, victories, and direction, even in the same areas, because we all make mistakes. And we might sacrifice some of the joy and pleasure of believing him on the front end. That's our goal. God's developing our faith to get us to do that on the front end, not the back end. Okay, right? Our faith is getting developed. And the more we have this faith, the more we we go from the back end to the front end. I'm probably in the middle end here, or maybe a quarter in. But I'm I'm slowly getting from the back end where I I just panic to death. I'm starting to see that when faith is exercised, God always comes through, and I'm getting just incrementally a little bit more a man of faith than I am uh, that I was before. That's what God wants for all of us. And that's why he allows us to get into these situations. So we'll become people of faith. All right? You know, it's easy to read these people in Hebrews 11, David and uh, Moses and Abraham, and go, I'll never be a... That's why Barak is in here. So we can have hope to get past our initial doubts. Now, this is my question to you, and then we'll go to the last point and be done, okay? This is my point. What is God telling you? Now, here, listen. Please listen. What is God telling you right now to trust him for again, for a second or third or fourth time in faith? He's saying to you, come back. Come back to the issue again. Come back to what you're fighting for. What is he telling you to come back to him in faith for that you've been struggling and believe in him for? Okay, you, you, at first, and then you started to weaken and you started to doubt a little bit and you've struggled. What is he telling you? Say, make a stand in faith for me again. I don't care if it's the 12th time. Make that stand again because I'm gonna turn you into a Bayrak and I'm gonna come through for you. Which, what is it? in your life and mine. Well, that's, let's go to the last point here and we'll, and we'll wrap it up. Sorry, this is, this, is, this is good. We gotta take our time to take this apart. But we come to the last point here, and that is 
The accurate prophecy of Deborah is fulfilled. The accurate prophecy for Deborah is fulfilled. Now we start at verse 17. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabed, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. You know, if you're going past a tent with a woman in there, and, she's, and, and she says, Come on in. Don't do it. Don't, don't. <laughs> guys, I'm speaking to the guys here. Don't do it, guys. Don't, no matter how... No, anyway, I don't want to get into that. But Jael went out to meet Sisera and said, Come, my lord. Come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. And she opened a skin of, one guy said it was goat milk, so I'll, I'll go with goat milk. And she gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Favorite, my favorite verse in the whole passage. <laughs> When we used to, when the kids were little, and we read the scriptures at table at, for our little devotional time, at, what, did we do that before or after dinner? I can't remember. After. They would always pick passages like this, because we gave them each a choice, right? And so they'd always pick something that, like a battle or a war or something, and anyway, that memory came back to me just now. Anyway, she drove the tent peg into his temple and into the ground, and he died. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. And on, on that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew strong, uh, stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. So after the mud renders the chariot useless, Sisera flees in fear for safety to the tent of Jael, Heber, the Canaanite's, Canaanite's wife. And they were on good terms and, and so, uh, with the Canaanites, and so that's why Heber went there. But Jael, not being stupid, sees uh, uh, Sisera fleeing from the battle, covered with mud, all beat up, and probably she, she assumed he lost the war, being a smart woman. And favoring Israel, she does her thing, right? Now, J.L., also known as Buffy the Canaanite Slayer, okay, <laughs> invites Sisera in, quenches Sisera's thirst with nice, warm goat milk. Verse 19, Sisera tells J.L. not to squeal on him if the enemy soldiers come by. No problem, says J.L. But after J.L. sings him a soft lullaby, wraps him in a nice, warm blanket, and burps him, and then... Uh, Sisera falls asleep, feeling good about everything, and when he's asleep, she kills him by driving a tent peg right through his head. You could probably say that J.L. really nailed Sisera, couldn't you? I mean, or you could put it another way, that she secures his position in the tent, you know? These are obligatory pastoral jokes. You just have to put up with them. And when Barak comes by chasing Sisera, J.L. says to Barak in verse 22, Come, I will show you Sisera, who you are looking for. I had him pegged from the moment he came in here. You know? <laughs> and then she says to Barak what she did. 
and giving her, not Barak, the credit as Deborah had prophesied. And then on the same day, Sisera dies. Jabin, the Canaanite king, was overtaken by the Israelites until he was destroyed. What a great victory for Barak and Israel, right? Okay, I want to I conclude with this, the few thoughts here. Because I think, I don't, these are important for me, and I think some, if it's important for me, it's probably important for other people too. But you know, you're in something right now, or, or one or two or ten things that are challenging to you right now. And, and, you're, and, and it is a challenge. You're in a challenge. Okay, you're in a challenge. Okay, or a tr- struggle, or a trial, or a conundrum. I like the word conundrum. I like the word bailiwick, too. They, they, they are what they sound like, what it sounds like. Or maybe you're just scared of something. I don't know. But God has a plan for victory through those things. He really does. I think we have so much less victory than, than we, we can get. I'm speaking for myself. Regardless of our circumstances or our difficulties or our confusion or our fears, God has a victory for that. Our part is to have faith at the beginning, front end. I know it's hard, but even if it's not at the front end, it can be, it, we can come back around like Barak. Even if it's just a grain of a mustard seed. Okay? But the less we are like Barak, the better in the sense, the more towards the front end that we can. More faith, less doubt, if, if possible. As, as uh, Barak eventually came around. But even if we falter, even if we fail in our faith, God continually gives us chances to believe. It's, it's how he develops faith in us. Now, once again, the question, why did Barak get into Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith? He got into the Hall of Faith, the hall, Faith's Hall of Fame, because at the end of the day, even in his failure and fear, he still had faith to believe that God was going to do what he promised. In spite of maybe being a little unsure of the outcome and how God was going to do it, who could have guessed that he was going to turn the Kishon, uh, uh, Kadesh, which, whatever, the Kishon River bed into mud? He didn't know that, but he said, you know, God, you said you're going to do it, I believe it. And he went into battle and he had a great victory. Now, here's, here's my punch in the gut question as we, as we wrap it up. Maybe you've given up on something. Or maybe you've weakened in something that God wants you to revisit and take back in faith. Maybe it's a relationship or a dead end or just a cloud of confusion. What do you need? What specific promise of God do you need to cling to or return to in faith today? Because he promises us guidance, direction, strength, wisdom, change, endurance, resolution to meet our unmet needs. He promises that. What do we need to return to to say, Lord, with renewed faith, I trust you and I want victory in this? You can be a Barak, and I can too, with faith, even though we doubted or are weakening in our faith right now. Faltering faith is not final faith. Reaffirm your faith in him and his promise today and do it every day because it can be an everyday thing. How you do it? Get back into God's word and look at the people of faith. Go through them in Hebrews 11. Uh, get to him in prayer and, 
Say, I trust you, Lord. Fellowship with God's people and hear their stories of faith. Ask God for more faith. Determine to trust God in faith. Say, God, I'll trust you one situation at a time in faith, and then watch him come through for you. What's he calling you to, to have faith in him? What is he, what is he saying? Return in faith. And just remember that this life of faith starts with faith in Jesus Christ as one's Lord and Savior. We can't have faith to believe God's promises if we don't have faith that God sent his son to die for sin so that we could be made righteous in his eyes. And so first come to Christ if you don't know him and then come back to faith in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for um, giving us a lesson through Barak. Thank you, Lord God, that when we falter or fail in faith, it's not final failure. And we all, I, I sit here on this stool facing these people realizing tomorrow when I sit in my chair and spend time in your word and prayer, I'm gonna face, I'm gonna face Midianites and Canaanites and I'm gonna face the walls of Jericho and I'm gonna face the Red Sea and I'm gonna face Goliaths and I don't know how they're gonna come down or split apart, but I know you want me to trust you because you've always been faithful and I need to return to you daily in faith and for those things that I've failed to say no, this time I'm gonna believe and I pray for my brother and sister here this morning, my dear brother and sister who just feels tired and weak and just feels like their faith has been drained, that you would renew their faith, give them hope and optimism because you can work out of the box to do things we could never imagine and you will if we keep trusting you. That's our part. Increase our faith, Lord, and, uh, and help us to see you work miracles in our lives. And uh, in this quiet moment, as we get ready to leave, Lord, I'm gonna give these wonderful people 30, 30 seconds to just say, Lord, and say, I trust you in faith for that thing that you've been working on, but you're, you're scared or troubled or struggling or tired or weak or you, your faith has ebbed out. Just, just renew your faith in us. And Lord, I trust you for, the, and then name it to God. And then I'll say amen. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.